Well, I uh, want you to imagine something with me this morning. I want you to imagine that Pictou County is an island and uh, that no one in Pictou County had ever heard the gospel before. No one. The name of Jesus was an unknown name. Nobody had heard. We're, we're an island. We are. We worship false gods. We're very much into uh, the, the worship of, of Greek gods, um, polytheists. And then suddenly some guy comes to town whose name is Paul, and he's an apostle that we come to understand him to be. And he preaches the gospel and he establishes a church here. And very quickly, uh, things start happening in the church. The church grows, it flourishes. And he does something, he appoints a young man to be the pastor. And uh, this guy's name is Titus. So Titus is here, he's pastoring this church, a church that is really had very little, well, really no understanding of the gospel except for just a few years ago. And so in that short period of time, uh, lots of things happen in the church. And one of the things that happens is that people just, well, they sort of accept the gospel, but not when it comes to its full doctrines and not when it comes to the things it teaches about lifestyle. So uh, just to set this up this morning, I don't know how far I'll get. Uh, I might not finish this message this morning. If not, we'll pick it up next week. But in chapter one of Titus, Titus is only three, three books long, uh, three chapters long. And so here is what he says. By the way, uh, Paul refers to Titus as his son. Uh, my, my, my true son in our common faith is how he refers to him. And he says this, for there are many rebellious people. Can you put that up? Did you find? Oh, there we go full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. So this were actually Jews that were here. And he says, they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain, one of the Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. Now, this is where the comparison between Pictou County and Crete ends. Uh, nobody here is a liar or an evil brute or a lazy glutton, at least that I know of, anyway. <laughs> so he's saying, and this saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. So that there was people coming along saying, uh, right, uh, you know, when uh, these people that are involved with the gospel, with this message Paul brought, now Titus is bringing, well, they're just part of a group of people that are just no goods. They're, they're just really the kind of down and out of society, and they come along with all this negative stuff. And he says, you've got to rebuke them sharply. See, they were in the church so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. 
In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And Titus, they belong to your church. So, go to it. Pastor them. (laughs) Okay. How does Titus do this? He's a young man in the faith himself. And he's proven himself to be faithful, both in the teachings of the gospel and in his lifestyle. But here he, he is... Uh, being faced with this challenge of this new church and being a pastor. Uh, These are kind of the challenges that are actually timeless when it comes to Christian ministry. And so for pastors and church leaders, this is not something new. Uh, These kinds of things infiltrate the church through all generations and in all cultures. So how does he go about it? Well, We're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 2, and we're going to take a look at about maybe four verses this morning. We might not even get that far. Uh, You, however, (laughs) so after saying all this, saying, uh, Titus, don't run for the hills. Don't get the next ship off the island. He said, you, uh, however, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So, First comes, and it's reversed actually, sound doctrine comes first, so you have to know the truth, but then there is a lifestyle that comes out of that sound doctrine, and that lifestyle is what is appropriate. So in other words, for Christians, we must know the truth. We must know the Bible, the Word of God. We have to know doctrine. One of the most important quests of any pastor and of any eldership, of any church, is to ensure that the Word of God is taught because there's every other idea that can come in and infiltrate the, the, whole, the whole life of the church. So it starts with understanding the Bible. So here, here we come to chapter 2. You ought to teach what is appropriate and what is sound doctrine, and you start with the old men. And I thought, this is an appropriate birthday message for me, because I'm just now nudging my way up into that category. So, teach the older men. Now, okay, so... These guys are coming from a culture, the old people. Why would you ever start with the old people? Why not start with the young people? Give up on the old people. They are not long for this world anyway. But no, because there's a principle of life that starts with the elderly in the church. Teach the old men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and in, endure- and in endurance. So basically what you had was a group of old men who weren't temperate, who weren't worthy of respect, who did not exercise self-control, who weren't sound in the faith, and neither were they sound when it came to love. And so these guys have lived a life where they had from their parents, from the lineage they came from everything that was opposite to the gospel. 
They lived in a culture where there was abuse of women, there was, uh, there was drunkenness, there was all of the kinds of things that we see that Paul talks about in chapter 1 that was present in the church. So how do you get rid of it? Do you get rid of the old guys or do you teach them? And so <laughs> Titus, the young guy, is called upon to teach the other guys that are older How's that going to work? Well, <laughs> you'll see what Paul says later on. We probably won't get there. So the first thing to teach an older man is to be temperate. That means to be vigilant and alert. He's got to be a person who gives wise and careful thought before he makes decisions. A person who is focused on what really matters. He focuses, first of all, on the things of God. He's self-disciplined and he cares about others. You have to teach this to the old guys because it does not come naturally to them. Now, if you come from a family background where your father or your grandfather were not taught the things of the, of the Christian gospel or they did not practice them, they weren't, you couldn't characterize them with these things that we were just reading about here. Uh, they didn't make wise decisions. They weren't lovers. They didn't treat their, your, your mother well, or they didn't treat you well, or there was unfaithfulness involved. And that's the kind of family you come from. Well, there were young people, young men and young women in this congregation on Crete that came, had the same issues. Their parents weren't what we would call godly parents, or it would meet the criteria that Paul is setting forth here for older men. And so he addresses older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. And he says, you've got to teach them all. You can't presume that the younger men and the younger women will know it from their parents because their parents weren't godly. And so there's a, a huge responsibility, first of all, in the church to older guys to be an example to understand that there are those amongst us and there's those in the world around us that do not have the kind of character when it comes to their parents, their grandparents, their extended fa family, and they are brought into a world of confusion. And what is the church to be? It's to be filled with men, older, who have learned things that didn't come natural to them, but they were taught the gospel. They were taught the things of God, and they learned, first of all, to stop making stupid decisions and to be temperate, to make wise decisions. <sighs> Worthy of respect. Wow. Teach them to be worthy of respect. Don't go looking for guys that are worthy of respect because they not, not, naturally aren't. They come from a culture where uh, they're disrespectful. They, they, they're not worthy of respect, so teach them how to be worthy of respect. In other words, it starts with respect for God, respect for the Bible, respect for authorities, for spiritual authority, and respect for others. And that begins with the family, in the home, respect for their wives, for the children, and we pick up on this as we go on. Self-controlled. <laughs> wow. What, a, what is common to human nature, whether you're young or old? 
It's to be full of self-indulgence. It's what I want. It's what makes me happy. It's me first. It's me uh, before my family, before God. It's me first. I, uh, that's, that, that's what it, it, it's all about. And so a man can be uh, full of indulging in things where he looks, he cares for his own fun, his own pleasure, his own interests. And instead of sacrificing himself for his family, he, he puts himself first and others last. He can be full of anger, so there's no uh, respect for others. He's just very self-centered. And self-control. The older men teach them how to control themselves. Well, this can be things like impulsiveness or anger or getting upset or just the different things that... uh, pertain to self-control. Self-control is really the essence of the fruit of the Spirit. So self-control does not come naturally. It doesn't come just by us disciplining ourselves. Okay, I'm not going to be anger, angry anymore. Self-control comes from giving yourself first to God, submitting to Him in prayer, in, in studying of the Word, and giving yourself over to the purposes of God. And you have to teach older men to do this. And they need to be sound in faith. Teach them to, be, to know what it is they believe. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the word of God. And they must remain grounded in the faith because there's all these various influences, and we read about some of them in the first chapter, that just would invade the church. So we need older men to be strong in their own personal faith, to know the Word of God and know how to teach the younger men. Ah, wow. Sound in love. So, uh, love. Hmm. There to be an example to others. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So love is really, the essence of love is sacrifice. And uh, sound in love. Uh, Love is full of charity. It's caring for not just your family, but those beyond your family. To be a true lover is to love what God loves, to love what God is involved in. Jesus said, I will build my church. And so his project on earth right now is in a process And that process is to build the church of Jesus. And that's why he teaches us to tithe. We tithe not to the old Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, but we we tithe to Jesus, who is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, we read in the book of Hebrews. So tithing to the church is a part of charity. It's a part of love. And there's so much more we could say about that. Uh, And then he says... uh, and endurance. Endurance is not giving up. Endurance is whenever everything seems to be falling apart and you're giving it your best effort that things just don't seem to be working out with your family. Uh, you are a man who's become a man of faith and you've been willing to be taught the scriptures, but your wife really isn't quite there with you. 
and your kids are living in a, a, a totally different world culture. And you say, well, why don't they just follow me? Well, listen, maybe they've been following you through the years where you were bad, and they're just not going to switch a, 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 flip a switch. And now, because you become a man of faith, just naturally follow you. You have to be patient. You have to keep plugging on. You have to keep praying for the kids that aren't saved, that aren't where you want them to be. So there's endurance. There is pressure from the outside. Great persecution was to come against the Cretans in their faith. There was all of this that they would have to deal with. And so teach the older men. Then it says in verse 3, in the same manner that you teach the older men, teach the older women. <laughs> Good luck with that, Titus. Uh, imagine this 30-year-old pastor uh, coming to a church and saying, I want all the older women to meet me on Tuesday night. I have some things I want to teach you. Okay, we'll be there. What do you want to teach us? The first thing is to be reverent. Oh, so you have a group of irreverent women, older women in the church, and the whole purpose of this is to train them, to teach them so that the example they set for the next generation will be one that is different than the example they are currently setting. Hmm. So, what is reverence? It's that which becomes holiness. It's that which becomes separate unto God. Women who are now uh, have a passion and a love for Jesus. And they might have had passion and love for so many other things that would have been common to that culture. Uh, they might have been, you know, whatever it was they did. But now he's focusing them on something different. Not the lifestyle of the culture they came from, but a, life, a lifestyle that is characterized by reverence. It expresses itself in church. Respect for the house of God, the gathering of God's people, for worship, for giving, for charity. It's, it's all a matter of what he calls us to be, calls older women to be. And, and then he says, uh, not to be slanderers. Now, the word slanderers, slanderers comes from a Greek word, uh, which is diabolos, which means false accusers. Um, telling the truth about someone with intention to hurt them can be is slander, gossip. This can be a lifestyle. Didn't Randy Travis write a song about old men just sitting around talking about something and older women sit around talking about older men. Uh, is there a song like that somewhere? I don't know. I think there is. But isn't it? And you don't have to be an older woman to love to gossip or to speak evil of others. In fact, that was ingrained in their culture. Is it ingrained in ours? Certainly. Is it, is it, does it, is it just older women that do this? Or is it right through our culture? Right? And so Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, teach the older women that they can change their culture. They have the opportunity in the years that are left 
them to change the whole dynamics of the church of Jesus Christ so it becomes opposite to slander and gossip and hurtful words, but becomes a church that is filled with loving, kind, compassionate words, not quick to accuse others, not quick to give an evil report, but to say things that are profitable, edifying, encouraging. And you can teach that, he says. Well, so he says then, uh, not addicted to much wine. Um, addictions. Well, wine was an addiction. Now, their wine back in those days wasn't nearly as strong as the wine we have today. Certainly, it certainly would have been fermented, and so there would have been alcohol, but there was no such thing as the hard liquors that we have today, the whiskeys and whatever else is a hard liquor. And so, but anything that can make you intoxicated is something that you should reject. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, the Bible says that taking a glass of wine is wrong. Uh, it simply says you're not to be addicted to too much wine. So what is it to be addicted to too much wine? It means to be an alcoholic. And today we have so many other things, the drugs and things that they wouldn't have had to the same degree that we have today. So addictions, whether it be wine or Facebook, if Paul knew about Facebook when he wrote this word, he would have said, limit your time on social media. Now, if he would have wrote that in the Bible, nobody in those days would have had a clue what he was talking about. So he waited for guys like me to come along and interpret this to say addictions could be more than just wine. It can be gossip. It can be all these other things. It can be habits that deny holiness. Habits that deny the attention we ought to give to the things of God and to what makes the church the church. Teach good things, it says. Teach the women to teach what is good. Okay. All right. So, Titus, you're not just to get up there and tell them what they're doing wrong and tell them what to do right. Teach them how to teach the things you're teaching them. So, in other words, mentor them, even though you're a young man, and don't let anybody despise the fact that you're young. Because the word of the Lord is in you. You've been called to preach. You've been called to pastor. Don't let anybody deny you. And he he goes on to say that even when that means to rebuke those that would challenge you. So teach the women, the older women, to teach good things. Well, what are some good things to teach? Well, if they learn to pray, they can teach younger women to pray. If they learn the Word of God, they can teach young women the Word of God. If they teach uh, younger women to uh, practice holiness, uh, they've learned to practice it, they can teach young women. In fact, it goes on to say, here's what you should teach them, verse 4. Teach the, they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, 
I'm reading, is this the NIV? Yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, here we go. To be self-controlled and pure. To be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Okay, so teach the younger women to love their husbands. How does a young man teach a young woman to love her husband? Well, he doesn't. He signs that to the older women. So Titus says to the older women, it would be inappropriate for me to talk about the kind of relationship a, a wife is to have with her husband when it comes to some things, particularly intimate things, but teach the women to have their primary love focus to be their husband. And that doesn't mean we're t- talking about loving husbands more than they love God. We're talking about human relationships. The primary affection and focus of a young woman should be her husband. That's where the coalition, that where, that's where that solid union, that merging of two people to become one, when that is solid and it holds together, it has a powerful effect on young men and young women and, and teach them, teach the, the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. Teach them to love their children. Well, isn't maternal love for their children natural? Well, yeah, but it also can be compromised. There can be neglect. There can be the failure to discipline, the failure to nurture, the failure to take time, the kind of time that your child needs to be bonded to you and to be bonded to your husband because you see yourself as a mother being bonded to your husband. So, let the uh, teach them how to be self-controlled, to have good judgment, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Teach them to be pure. That, of course, can refer to morals. It can refer to all the kinds of, of sexualized things that women get caught up in so easily. Oh, if I was only as pretty as this model or this person. And young women tend to want to be attractive, not just to their husbands, just because their identity is wrapped up in their appearance. And we live in a culture, they lived in it then, we live in it now, where what is celebrated when it comes to womanhood is how pretty they are. And so morals is not about that. Morals is not about being somehow adorning yourself to draw attention to yourself. Morals is about holy, godly living when it comes to your sexuality. The word pure also means to be uncluttered. We can clutter our lives with so much stuff. We got this, we got that. We love to be a part of this group and a part of that group. We're involved in sports. We're involved in and doing, you know, so busy at jobs and at careers and, and, and just, oh, I want to spend more time with my friends. I'm out on this night of the week and that night of the week. And we can clutter our lives. Our houses can be cluttered just with stuff. And so a pure life is a focused life that focuses, first of all, on husband and second, upon children and to live a kind of a lifestyle that flows out of that. 
teach them to be busy at home. <laughs> the primary, most important, above career, above recreation, yes, above church, is the importance of a woman's home. Teach them how to put home first. Wow. Timothy had quite a task, didn't he? And teach them to submit to their husbands. To understand the proper order of God. That the role that God places upon husband is different than the role that God places upon a wife. There's a whole teaching about that. And so wives, submit to your husbands because this is pleasing to God. There's so much about submitting to husbands in the New Testament. Uh, By the way, you know, the only time it ever says, oh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, So uh, be busy at home. Submit to your husbands. And then he says that no one will malign the word of God. Uh, Okay, um, what's this got to do with the Bible or the message of the gospel or of Jesus who is the word? It has this to do with it. Young women, you are the message. You are the message. In fact, old men, the word of God is not just what you say about God. You are the word of God. The gospel is seen not in the things that come out of your mouth, but the lifestyle you live. If what comes out of your mouth is not authenticated by your lifestyle, then that's maligning the word of God. So young women, don't let things like clutter, improper relationship with your husband, Attention to yourself to be accepted in in ways that are not really necessarily becoming to holiness, but to focus primarily and solely on being accepted to God, to the gospel. And uh, one more. How's your time, by the way? 10-2. Okay. One more. Uh, Young guys. So this is, I just entered the threshold of an old man, so this doesn't apply to me anymore. Uh, Titus, you have peers in the church, young guys. Wow. They're going to have influence on the next generation, and they're going to have influence on the generation that is still full of vibrancy and work and able to do so much for the kingdom of God. Titus, this in a way is, well, they're all important groups, but the young guys. Teach them to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you might be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So, uh, this kind of shifts a little bit. He says, uh, first of all, teach the young men to be self-controlled. Well, 
young guys face all kinds of temptations. There's all sorts of things that can cause them to to lose a sense of self-control. For sure, when it comes to sexuality. For sure, when it comes to living a lifestyle that is pleasing to God morally. And as well as that, when it comes to being responsible with finances. Um, He says, so teach them to be self-controlled. And then he says, the rest of the teaching, do it by example. And through your example, you are teaching the young men your peers. And this is the essence of the dynamics of congregational church life. We teach not by words as much as we do by lifestyle. Words are important. We must have the doctrine. We must have the instructions. But the lifestyle is what is critical. So in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. <laughs> Sounds simple enough. Good works. Guys, there's so much things that we could, young men can be involved in. Uh, overemphasis on career or education or sports or recreation or just so many things. But teach them that good works is what's important. That all the things that are superfluous are unnecessary. At least that's not to say don't go to a hockey game or, or don't get involved in playing sports. One of the things to really challenge ourselves with these days is the fact that so many Christians get involved in Sunday sports instead of coming to the house of God and teaching their children to do the same things. Teach young men to do good works. To respect the house of God, the first day of the week where we come together to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus, to receive the instructions from the word of God, to be involved in prayer and supplication and ministry to others and to those around us who have needs. Uh, In your teaching, show integrity. Integrity. That's lifestyle. That's submission to spiritual authority. That's humility. It's honesty. Teach them to be serious. Set priorities. Teach young men to set priorities in their lives, the priorities that will last, that will endure, that don't put themselves at the center of their life, but Jesus first and others second and themselves last. Teach them to practice sound speech. Well, in our world today, there's lots of vulgarities, are there not? Lots of off-handed comments, uh, so much sexualized talk, speaking about women in a way that focuses on their sexuality. And young men, if you're going to involve yourself in that, you're going to be an example to your peers and to the generation behind you. And so teach the young men to show respect when it comes to how they talk. And, 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 and show them that, that those who will oppose you, and there will always be opposition, young men, you're going to 
stand out from the crowd. You're not going to get involved in the parties. You're not going to get involved in all the, the freewheeling sex that is so common to our culture today. You're not going to get involved in those things that are full of temptation and remove you from the things of God. You're not going to set priorities when it comes to the house of God and worship on the Lord's day with God's people and being taught the scriptures. You're going to put all those things in in a way in which nobody who opposes you will cause you to be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you, about us, us young guys. The young guys that are out here. I I, I don't qualify for that anymore. Uh, uh, Anyway, are you following me? What is the essence of a church? Is it its doctrines? Well, yes. But it's its doctrines lived out in the lifestyle of generations because it... (laughs) What this world so desperately, desperately needs when it comes to older women, older men, younger men, younger women, the children that are coming behind us are looking up and they're processing what Christianity is about through what they see in the generation next to them, in their parents, in the grandparents of the church. And what does the church need? If Crete is going to have a, a good church to Titus, there's going to be all kinds of things that you have to do. In fact, in verse 15, he says this, if you want to go down to verse 15. These things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke without or with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. He's just a kid. What's he know? He hasn't been a Christian that long. Yeah, so Paul the Apostle appointed him. <laughs> Give me a break. I'm older than him. I'm smarter than him. I'll do what I want to do. I'm not going to listen to some kid pastor. Don't let anybody despise you. And if it means that you have to rebuke and give a sound word and a word that brings harsh correction, <laughs> not necessarily harsh, but correction, Do it with all authority, because that authority comes from God, and it comes from the Word of God. Now listen, young men, you have the opportunity to be able to have such influence in your own generation. You can set an example to those in your generation that can change a whole culture. Young women, you can too. You can set the principles of the Word of God that is the very essence of congregational life in a church. You can put those priorities in place to the point that you change your world around you. And young women, teenagers, young men, teenagers, maybe you didn't have the examples that God ordained you should have. When it came to your own family life or the culture you came from, maybe your your dad wasn't a believer. Maybe he said he was a believer, but he didn't act like one. You can rise above that through the support 
of the generations in the church that are above you who understand your dilemma, who understand your challenges, and are there to love on you, to give themselves for you, and to commit themselves in their youth to being the church that God is raising up to influence a world that is so far estranged from him. Older folks, myself included, I, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about sharing with our teens and our younger men and our children the principles of the gospel, to doing all I can to fill in the gaps that are in their lives where they need that kind of support that an old guy like me can give. You don't have to be an old pastor, every older person. Do you know the teenagers in the church? Do you know the children? Do you know the peers? What about those who are not from your culture that come from another country, Nigerians or Indians, uh, uh, Filipinos? Do you know them? Do you know their struggles? Do you cross over to the other side of the church, so to speak, and get to know those who are in your peer group? And to share with them your love and concern, and you'd be surprised what you'd find out. You'd be surprised the burdens that some face. Marlene and I get to know what they are probably more than anyone else in the church. And so we're able to respond to whatever means is available to us to respond to them. But church, are you ready for 2020? to be a year where we take into our lives a fresh pursuit of the practices of authentic congregational church life and set a witness for each other in the church and for the world around about us that Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the only hope that this world has. Are you ready for that? Let's stand together. Worship team, would you come? Just before we sing, and by the way, there is uh, coffee and birthday cake after. Everybody's welcome. Just make sure you leave me a piece. Um, but before we do that, if you're here this morning and you need to experience true Christianity, true faith, maybe you've looked at uh, Christianity from the standpoint of the kind of things that Paul was trying to talk to Titus about when it comes to all the influences that can come into a church that are false and wrong. And, and cause a lot of hurt and pain. Maybe that's, or maybe that's what you've tended to focus on and not seen the good that might be there. Whatever. What is really important this morning is your heart, your mind, your life, and your relationship with God. And if you 
need prayer this morning because there's things that you are troubled about, things that you are not sure about. Joanna's talked about Alpha, and you say, well, maybe I'll go to that. Well, yes, by all means do that, but you don't have to wait until Alpha starts. You can come and have prayer this morning. Even if you're just, you're inquiring, you say, I don't know, I don't understand, and I just, I just want somebody to pray for me. As the worship team sings, I'm going to invite you to come and stand at the front of this church, and somebody will come and pray for you. Be careful of the scaffolding over here that you don't trip over it. Um, and uh, just to know God loves you and he wants to meet with you, and uh, you can discover the beginning of a whole new life today.